So this will be part of a little series where I'll ask writers as many as I can or the mysterious questions that don't really need or probably don't have answers, which is uh, what they think in the end writing is beyond ideas of academia and journalism, its purpose and its mystery. So today I'm talking to the very magical writer called Sarah Bohm. Uh, she's written two novels, Spill, Simmer, Falter, Wither, and this one here, A Line Made by Walking. And I think it's safe to say, especially when she's not in the room, that she more or less breaks every rule you could think of for writing a novel in a very special way because uh, you can only do that if you're a person of genius, which is, I, I think, is what she is. And in, its, in, all, in place of that rule-ridden thing, she makes her own book as if she was the first person on earth to write a novel, which is really very interesting, very entrancing. Every section of this book, and it's made up of hundreds and hundreds of quite small sections, has the force of a poem. Um, it's really very, very beautiful and also very formidable. She has the intelligence of a writer like Elizabeth Bowen, uh, so I'm even slightly scared of talking to her, um, which is a good thing. Um, so this will be Sarah Bowen. Here's this 200,000-year-old creature. And it, let's say what we do predates writing, doesn't it? The technique. It's not really about writing. Writing is a very recent invention. Mm. But, but a story, to get a hold of a story. Do you think that's... Do you think there's a certain uh, element in it of the scattering of fear? Is it to allow the community to be less fearful that you make a story that's a mm. sort of solace? Mm. Do you think? Or occasionally more fearful if it's a, fearful. a story that will teach them something about... Um, teach them something, I uh, You know, I, it's... Mm. I mean, on a, on, a, on a micro level, you know, when you say, do, do I... I suppose I do write something, like, for example, I notice something about a fern, like, say, like a fern, every leaf of the fern is mm. like a tiny leaf of the fern. Mm. Like every little spoke of the fern is a tiny miniature of the the larger leaf of the fern. That's just an arbitrary example, but say when yeah. I put that detail in a, in a, in a novel, yes. I want someone to look at a fern and see it in that way that I've seen it. Okay. Um, because I have a tiny moment of revelation, which is ah. worthless, I suppose, um, only, only in the sense that, um, that it's something that I cared about or momentarily cared about, and so, and so I'm seeking to pass that worthless on. Worthless or maybe the only thing that's worth anything. I'm not thinking about noticing. that when I'm writing the sentence, though. Um, I'm not no. thinking, or when I put a certain detail in, it's not with any particular purpose other than to, to, make, it, to make the whole thing fit together as a piece of art, you know, to, to, to make a sentence that, like I'll use, I'll use words that I don't really need <laughs> or that I don't really mean because they sound right in the context yes. of the sentence. That's very um, important. And I find myself like, because um, we live this very small, quiet life and I've noticed, and I talk mostly only to my boyfriend, and we go for like a walk in the evenings and I, I, I read a lot and I listen to a lot of podcasts and stuff mm. like that, but he doesn't much. Mm. And so I will hear myself relaying 
a podcast or, or something that I or, or read in the context of the day. Mm. I will do that and I know that I change it slightly, that I embellish it, that I make it a slightly better story. Mm. You know, so I'm not really trying to tell, I'm not trying to make the truth no, of anything and to make him see... You're, you're, you're trying to get people to notice the world, which it is quite a... But then I'm also lying about it. Yes, but, you know, the way you lie to a child, bring them <laughs> to a better place. Um, but I'm trying to make a piece of art, to... you know, and, and that's really... Yes. It, it, do you think stories, you know, because obviously your first interest in stories is when you're a child. And sometimes, oftentimes you hear them first. And that creates a kind of engine. It's, it's like you've oiled an engine in the child that starts to... Be self-starting eventually and then they have, might, might or might not have the desire and most school children do love to tell stories do you think even grown-ups supposedly grown-up books are always talking to all ages of the human being that they're directed at mm-hmm. you know the child of six as well as the man of the person of 60. I think I think mm-hmm. I think as a writer it's kind of harder I think I'm more hung up on my childhood than than other people yeah. and I wonder is that because I'm still hanging on to those stories yeah. um, no, I think that's characteristic of almost every writer and so and so does it's one that also creature that hangs on to its childhood story <laughs> but because and so and so because of that you're also writing for everyone you're always sensitive to the to the child in people because you find out that those seemingly unimportant things are the only important things mm-hmm. and that you that is universally felt so it, I mean, we, since we did invent writing, that whole process of your book on somebody's knee and their face reading, what do you think that is? I mean, it is, um, obviously, it's something to do with the synapses of the brain. There are more synaptic bits in your brain than there are stars in the universe, apparently. So you're making something happen. It's not really about reading, is it? It's not even about the physical book. There's something. What is that tremendous? What is that tremendosity in the human creature, do you think? And why do they need that? Well, it, it should be an easy question. It should be. If you write, you read, you know? Yeah. So what, so what do I get when I read, when I read other books? I don't think it's... I mean, I don't think it's not something that I think about as a writer. No, I'm I just guess. asking you to think about it. It's really cruel of me because I've never thought think, about these things. Does, does anyone like? Has everyone else said that they? I think I'm an anomaly because mm. because I feel like I started doing this by mistake in a way mm. um, that I was meant to do this other thing and um, this whole idea of the, the fundamental mm. project. I don't know, was it Sartre or Heidegger or someone? Um, you know, talked about the fundamental project of a life. Um, I'm kind of. Uh, and, and I, for me, I think the fundamental project usually comes back to something that I'm making with my hands and that writing about it is writing about it or writing a story around it or alongside it mm. um, is, was, is just not the fundamental project. So, I did, so, I, so I'm always afraid that I don't think so closely about these things as the other writers. No, but as, doing, as a person doing that, you have a value. Mm-hmm. And I don't understand... I've never quite understood why such a high value is put on writers and writing. Well, nor do I. You know, why, mm. why is it so special that... That's the question. 
that we're not just anyone, you know, tradespeople doing the thing that we do, you know, fixing And, and we may or... be. I mean, it's the trade of writing. I mean, it's obviously supremely important to get your shoes mended by a competent person, and much more so have your roof re-roofed by a competent roofer. <laughs> uh, but when you get to somebody like Joyce, you, you, it's, it almost is a religion. It's a, like a holy person with a holy book, you know, a sacred text. Um, it can go that far. Uh, maybe many things have one leg still hanging out, you know, in a joyous attempt at uh, informality, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But there's something about it, maybe that's a danger, the dangerous part is to make it too holy or too specifically important. Mm -hmm. I'm just remarking, I'm just having, you know, I've had, th I have three kids and I see them in the world. My children don't read my books, for instance, they wouldn't dream of doing it. Uh, be of no use to them. Uh, maybe I wonder why that's the case, but it's just the whole question of what we're at. Well, I thought about this a lot when my Robins dad... don't do it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they just sing their song over and over yeah, again. Yeah, but birds do. That's funny actually because um, I'm into birds in a Jonathan Brandon kind of way. <laughs> <laughs> um, but more, uh, more so waders and seabirds. I'm not so interested in songbirds. Well, I'm interested in songbirds. Okay. It's so hard to see. They just fly off immediately. But, um, but I've, the thing that I'm actually writing at the moment is trying to sort of weave a metaphor around um, handwork or handiwork and, um, and craft and the whole thing of bird migration because mm. these, there are certain birds, certain small birds. There's a bird called the northern wheatear and there's another one called the black pole warbler. But, I mean, lots of them that migrate. Mm. This one particular bird, the northern wheatear, it goes this extremely convoluted uh, way from the Arctic down. It kind of goes backwards around the world. Does that make sense? Yes. Right. <laughs> um, to end up in Africa. It goes mm. the kind of longest, stupid route, stupidest route you could imagine that it okay. could go. But it goes that way because that's the way it's always gone. You it's know? Ryanair it's... they go by. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but it's just, it, it's just impelled to go that way. Nobody ever mm. asks it why, you know? Mm. Um, I mean, the answer probably really is because why would it ever experiment? It, it, if it goes the other way, then mm. it doesn't know what will end up there. Whereas if it goes the way that it's genetically programmed to do and follows the other birds, then, mm. then it will turn up where It also it's... doesn't know it's called what you called it. No, yeah. no, it, it, no. And, and this it is... also lives in a realm which we just as humans have the the, the presumption, really, to imagine we know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They may not be doing that at all. Mm. You know, they may be weaving a great imaginative sweater in the sky. Yeah, yeah. We, we yeah. just don't There's know. There's so much about birds mm. in particular and fish mm. also that, that we don't know They inhabit the earth about. in a much more meaningful way than we do, mm. a much more connected way, no? Yeah. Yeah, but do mm. they know they do? <laughs> well, that's, you know, do we know how separated out we are from the world? I mean, I live in the mountains in Wicklow in a kind of year, yearly clock, clock made out of birds and flowers. And uh, it's very, you know, when you live in that, you can tell what time of day it is by, you know, not no, by so a human I. clock. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and... Uh, Only we're not so good on birds. In West Cork, in fact, I think maybe right. because it's sea. Yeah. Well, there's not a lot of birds anyway, so I'm yeah. jealous of your forest. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, 
So, I mean, maybe that's partly why we... Oh, what interests me, though, is this idea of the insistence, that there's something in them that they know, like there's the, the story of um, caged birds, oh. um, that they first, you know, man first realised that birds were migrating and actually leaving and going somewhere and not, like, hibernating or something, when um, they were keeping, someone was keeping caged uh, nightingales, I think, mm. and noticed that at a certain time of year the nightingale would behave in a certain way and then it would start flying to one side of its cage and hitting off the, the side. Oh and so the, the birds, even birds that have always lived in captivity, just have this urge to be doing something, to be going somewhere. And I'm kind of trying to draw a parallel between that and, and why we do what we do, you know, mm. I guess more so with handwork. But it's, the more I write about it, the more I think mm. that it's just the same as writing. You know. Well, making a book, it, it, it has a potent idea that it's a kind of migratory route that we're following mm -hmm. without, without actually leaving. Mm -hmm. So it fulfills an enormous need. I mean, I do, I'm, I'm sure that when we were very young on the earth, what had happened to your group of people uh, within living memory was supremely important to try and itemize that, mm. to give yourself both a sense of the past but also a sort of safety in the present, to anchor yourself in the earth. But the, I, I wonder how many other animals have that tragic sense of dislocation and disconnection mm. from the place they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, we love our childhood things because mostly as children we were at home in the world mm. and we were surrounded by people who kept indicating to us hopefully that we were at home and they loved us and that we were important to them in a way that essentially you can never be again mm. so your your ticket as a human creature was so franked and validated you couldn't read it anymore mm. it was black with the ink of validation so we're to, maybe we're asking people to acknowledge that, to celebrate that. But this idea of, of having a sort of a, an inner twitch that mm. can't be satisfied, mm. and you don't really know where it's come from mm -hmm. or, or what the point of it is. Yes. You know, I don't even think, and I, I write also in, or <laughs> this is such a vague, vague idea of a book at the moment, mm. um, but I, I uh, thought a lot in 2016 about my dad. Um, who died in 2016, and I thought a lot, I suppose, specifically, it was a couple of months after he died, my mother gave me um, this uh, photograph, or their photo frame, full of smaller photographs that she'd mounted. And, um, and my, like, my dad was, he left school very early. He, he was from the north of England. Mm. Um, and Lancashire? Uh, no, in fact, uh, I was born in Lancashire, uh. and he was born in uh, York, Yorkshire, North Yorkshire. Oh, North first. Yorkshire. How far up? Beyond the moors or? Thirsk? I'm not entirely right. sure, to be honest. I've been as far as Malham, which is an extraordinary place. Kids, yeah, but I don't, I, you know, I haven't been mm. over as an adult, so I don't Go really to Malham and walk back into those ancient hills. Astonishing. Malham? Malham, yes. I'd love to. Little know. hotel. You and your boyfriend can stay there and have a row and then go walking. <laughs> It'd be wonderful. The ideal holiday. Sounds like, sounds like exactly. <laughs> But yeah. anyway, um, yes. and so he, uh, and then he, uh, he was working on the gas lines when he met my mum, and then they ended up settling over what here. What gas lines? Oh God, I don't know. But they were all over England. This is okay. why me and my sister were both born in different places. Oh. Dad was laying gas lines, and they lived in a caravan, um, oh. and just you know stayed on, stayed on different sites. 
Mm. Um, so I was born in Wigan and she was born in Surrey. And then they said they, they came back here and settled when I was very small, only about four months old. Uh, what, what, what was his kind of social so status, as it were? Well, he was working class, you know, yeah. he was very working class. Was he from the land or...? Yes, his... Um, it's funny because I've been looking into this lately. And yeah. it's, it's, I had no idea that my great-grandfather was in the trenches of World War I. Wow. And he was gassed but came home. But he, his lungs were damaged such mm. that he must have died in his early 30s. Mm. And then his, he had two sons and possibly not at once, but when, his, um, when the two sons were a bit older, his widow um, sent them off to work on the land. So, I mean, mm. they would have been, they would have lived in the town, but mm. I think they were a sort of mill-working family. Mm. And that's, I mean, these are the bombs, that's where the name comes from. And then, so the two, two young men, um, two boys were sent to as farm laborers um, uh, when they were very small, but in, but, or when, I, I don't know, actually, I'm embellishing that. No, good, no, that's <laughs> when good. When they were quite young, they were sent to yeah, work Yeah, well, it's the where land. the lies begin that the good stuff starts. <laughs> well, it saved them because, mm. When my grandfather was 19, the Second World War broke out, mm. and he was automatically exempt from conscription because he was a skilled agricultural labourer. Uh-huh. Um, so he survived the war. And he was the amateur craftsman when he uh-huh. was older than he was. Making built. the carts? Yes, yes. Yeah. So that's the train of thought. Making the carts for farmers, though? No, he, no making no. model carts. Making like model just carts? Like this size. Oh yeah. my God. Do you have I one of those? We do. And. Uh-huh. Um, the, at the point that what I was kind of interested in was that mm. when I was a kid, I just thought it was a masterpiece. I thought it was the mm. most wonderful thing. Mm. And then when I was at art school, yeah. I learned that it was made out of a kit, you know. Actually, not made from a kit, but made, made from plants. Instructions. Made from a book. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I felt, sort of, I was felt so betrayed and also sort of slightly superior because I was, a re- I was at art school. Yeah. And you didn't need no instructions. No, no. Now, he actually made a lot of things out of wood. He, he had right. a workshop in his attic and turned wood. But I'm kind of, you know, I'm sort of examining that mm. now. Um, um, but my dad then never was a hobbyist. He, he just, um, but he, he, he was constantly in his shed. He had several sheds. Um, he, he worked in a quarry my entire life. Um, just driving machinery, building machinery. Mm. He could build anything, monumental pieces of machinery from scratch. Yeah. Um, and he could fix anything, and he could, you know, and the photos. Do you mean as a sculpture mother, or as a machine? No, no, as machines. Okay. No, no, absolutely no, you know, didn't know what art, well, knew what art did was. He have instruction, did, he, art. did he have instructions to make his machine? Um, no, no, my dad very much would have built things, and this is a term that I actually, that I was looking at, um, um, he would make things, it's, it's an amateur term, um, scratch built. Um, so the idea that something is made from scratch, that instead uh-huh. of buying it out of a kit, you build everything out of sort of available materials or ready-made. And things. machine a few things. And yeah, so he would have mm. been building machines, giant yeah. machines from yeah. scratch. Um, but I, I think this really applies to writing, that, you know, yeah. in a sense that some writers have this patchwork. Um, yeah. Um, well, we know his purpose is to make the machine. Yes, yeah. But did he take joy from building them, do you think? Well, that's what, you know, uh, that's, that's what I don't joy. know. Mm. And that's, sorry, this is the photo frame that my mother gave me. Yes. Had little pictures of all of the things around the house and garden that he'd made, he'd around made. the parish that he'd made, like all of these, um, like, cattle troughs that he'd welded, loads of gates. Um, he did a lot of stuff with steel. Um, the, you know, the garden path, the shed, the mm. sort of weird contraptions that I didn't even know mm. what they were. You were close to him? No, no, not really, no. no. And I... I think for my mother, it was her way of saying, you know, look, he, he, this is his legacy. He's, he's yes. still here. He made see these your, things. See this. Yeah. Just make you notice. This is his trail. Just you know? what you talked about 
in writing is to make somebody notice that the fern is made out of things whose shape is mirrored by the overall shape of the fern. But also what she was encapsulating for me was his trail, you know, what he had left behind, mm. his, his, um, you know, his, his trace So she was the, trying to make him more permanent in your Or brain. perhaps trying Give to show to, to me that you don't have to be a great artist or a writer or in order to leave things behind, in order to make a mark on the world. I think, or, I think what she was saying uh, was this is his, you know, this is valid too. Or maybe she's a little bit afraid that unless she creates that sort of biography, he'll be forgotten. That he'll be lost, yeah, mm. yeah. He'll be lost. Because our only eternity, obviously, is in the memories of our children and uh, anyone who knew us and loved us. That's the only proper heaven, isn't it? Mm. Being thought well of. Um, would you have thought highly of him while he was around? or We, we clashed for many years, like when mm. I was a teenager, and I was always into arty things and, you know, yeah. bohemian, and whereas he was very, you yeah. know, very um, conventional, man of a certain generation. Yes. <laughs> um, but he, but we got on, we got on well towards the end of his life, once, once I was a grown-up, um, yeah. we used to have a pint together kind of thing. Um, and he was a person of good heart. Yes, yes, yeah, that's, and that's it, I mean, that's his biggest legacy, that yeah. he was kind. But it made that me think a kind. lot about... I mean, just for a moment, think about that, because that's so incredibly important and much rarer than we realize, you know? But there's no material trace of it, you know? Um, no, but you're th still thinking about him, and you're thinking about those pictures. Mm -hmm. Will this inform your exhibition? And I'm... <laughs> well, the thing is, he, he, he'll inform everything I ever make, because mm. I got that making of stuff from him. Mm. And when I was in college, he used to help me. <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I, I make sort of small objects, but I make them in vast multiple, and then they have to be sort of constructed into something and dad would always help me with like the he didn't know what it was for like father, <laughs> he couldn't make sense of it father was um, a saint <laughs> it's very difficult to engage yourself with your children's preoccupations yeah. there's something that throws you off that wheel i don't know what it is exactly mm -hmm. well, i used to feel that but i you, you must make an enormous effort to you know he did something tremendous there he, you didn't have fairies but you certainly had wonderful things there in your childhood. Oh yeah, we, we had a lot of nature. If your parents are gentle and good-hearted, I think you're, you, you are, you become the empress and the emperor of the world, you know? Yeah. It's, it's the greatest, greatest store of hope and riches, I think. Oh, I agree, I agree, you know? and you're enormously lucky if you have that, mm. and a lot of people don't. Um, no, they don't, and uh, or they have to manufacture it. I'll have to make it up. Do you get on with your kids? <laughs> I get on with my kids immensely. I haven't had a relationship with my father for 30, 40 years, long time. So uh, you, you do feel the lack of that, but at the same time you might be writing in some way to um, rebuild the world or go back and reinstate something mm. is that that's why I was so I moved really by you to saying your mother gave you that because she's asking you she's not asking you to do anything is she she's just trying to place something mm. it's um, very um, loving mm. very towards him and to, towards you and, and, it, and it's it's you know it's it's huge message was just that mm. every life 
matters yeah. in, in, the, in its smallest detail. Um, now, now, maybe we've answered the question then. Yeah. That's why we do it, because. And, and in one of my books, The Whereabouts of Innocent Technology, the, there's a quote from the Revelations, he who is not written in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. And if we do not state these things, they're going to be discarded and burned.